From Editor-at-Large, this is Business of Home. I'm your host, Dennis Scully. Every week, I'll be talking to leaders and innovators from all corners of the home industry. I hope you'll join me. Before we start this week's episode, I want to give a special thanks to High Point Market for supporting the Business of Home podcast. Twice a year, tens of thousands of designers and retailers flock to the town of High Point, North Carolina for five days of shopping, networking, and learning. Held in the furniture capital of the world, it is the largest home furnishings trade show, with over 11.5 million square feet by roughly 2,000 exhibitors throughout about 180 buildings. To register for Spring Market April 14th through the 18th, visit highpointmarket.org. And now, on with the show. My guest this week is Beth Brenner. Beth is the Chief Revenue Officer of Domino Media Group. Welcome, Beth. Thank you. So pleased to have you here. Great to be here, Dennis. I am eager to talk about all things Domino. Well, you were there when it all began. Well, I, I want to get to that. But, but I wanted to sort of make this an, an oral history in a way, and I thought no better place to start than you growing up in the publishing industry. It's true. Tell I me about did. that. It's funny when you grow up in the industry and magazines are always free, like you don't realize the people actually pay for them because they're always in your living room. But uh, yeah, my dad was in the business. He worked at Condé Nast for almost, almost 40 years, right? 39 years. Um, so my entire childhood was basically spent, like that was his job. He started the year that I was born, to be honest, at Condé Nast. So he, that was always his job. And he, when I was in, I like to joke that when I was in, let's see, when I was in elementary school, he was the publisher of House and Garden. He was a House and Garden for 18 years, which is so funny that I'm now in this in the home design business because he still jokes that I'm seeing the same tables in High Point <laughs> that he saw then. Um, that is so funny. And I, I mean, I, <laughs> like so many years yeah. of going to High Point, I always knew about High Point. And then when I was in high school, he was the publisher of Mademoiselle, which obviously doesn't exist anymore, but it was... Pretty cool. Oh, pretty cool. And then when I was in college, he yeah. was the publisher of Brides. So there were all these jokes about people that I dated that, you know, <laughs> we would have a great wedding. And um, it was just, it was all around me. And so, of course, I decided I didn't want to do this and, you know, graduated college and said, well, you know, I worked every summer at Connie Nass. It was always my summer job. And then it was sort of like, what else am I going to do? And, um, I remember my dad handing me the New York Times on like the month I graduated from college and said, go off and do something else. Like you don't need to hear my name in the hallway, you know, find your own way. Yes, absolutely. And I was, I locked myself in my room for three days and cried. I was like, there's nothing else I know how to do. (laughs) And, um, and I went to the beauty industry. I went, my first job out of college was actually at Chanel. So Uh I went, did go in a completely different direction and then circled back because all roads lead back. So it was, it's funny funny story and he's still I my dad um actually still he retired in the mid 90s and he, he lives in Florida now but he still gets the email chains from Connie Nast like he's still on the email <laughs> is he still on and the email so, list? and I don't think he has any he just doesn't realize how much the business has changed but he's still somewhat in touch with what's going on so it's actually very funny that's fantastic. So was so was he reporting at the time directly to to Cy Newhouse, or what he, was the structure in his day? I don't remember the structure when I was a little kid. I remember that there were two uh, kind of two people that the publishers reported up to, two executives. Right. So he reported right. up to one of those people, and then eventually he was promoted up to be one of those people. So the publishers reported into him, and he reported directly to, to either to the President Steve Florio, Chuck Townsend, right. or to Cy. Okay. Okay. 
Well, so, and then despite your desire to not end up at Condé Nast, you eventually did, did come to Condé Nast. I didn't go until I was an ad director at New York Magazine, so right. there was no chance that people were going to say, oh, she only got this job because of her dad. Yes. And so I made a lateral move um, in the mid-90s to be the ad director itself. And right, okay. So it was many, many years later. My sister actually had been working in Condé Nast a lot longer than I had. Oh, okay. My sister, Andy. Yes. And uh, I spent 16 years there, so 11 years on self. And when, after a year, my boss, my publisher, Larry Burstein, was promoted to another title, and I became publisher. Uh, and I was, like, in my low 30s. It was kind of so a crazy time. So Larry Burstein was, yeah. the, was the publisher itself. He was the pub He left New York Magazine to go be the publisher itself, and he brought me with him. And so that was my entree to Condé Nast. Got it. Okay. Yeah. And, and Larry was promoted over to The New Yorker. I became the publisher of Self. And I had to report to my dad. So in a weird twist, so, here, here's yes. the whole thing coming full circle already. That, you know, we, and we kind of didn't tell anybody and joked about it. And nobody said a word. And that's right. just the way it was. And you were married by that time. So you were... I was. You were Beth Brenner. Exactly. And so people didn't necessarily make the connection. You know, there was so much nepotism. There were so yeah. many families in the business. There were so many yes. Florios. There were so many Fuchses. Yes. There was, you know, we were all there and we all worked together and it just didn't matter. It didn't matter. We got our work done. It didn't matter. Didn't matter. Yeah. Didn't matter. And, and were you, so you were reporting to your dad when you were the publisher of Self. Exactly. That's so funny. And then when... Did they come to you and say, hey, we're starting up this new home magazine? Or, or what were they even saying at the time they were starting? You know, it was funny. It was the age of, you know, Lucky had started and had a huge first few years. And right. there was this whole new concept of, you know, the shopping magazine. So it was the shopping magazine for fashion, the shopping magazine for men, which was cargo, shopping magazine for your home, you yes. know, oh. which became Domino. Um, so it was always thought of as more of a franchise than just a single title. Yes. And I, you know, I loved that job itself. I still joke to this day that it, I'm going to live 10 years longer because of the 10 years I spent there. You know, it's just, it was a very good for you kind of job. Because we, it was so focused on health and, and So fitness focused on health and, and wellness. And we right. launched, um, along with Evelyn Lauder, we launched the Pink Ribbon for Breast Cancer. Yes. Like We were doing such amazing work in that whole health and wellness, and you know, realm and sort of pushing well-being to what it later became. You know, nobody really knew what that was at the time. Yes. And Steve Florio, who was the president of Condé Nast at the time, you know, used to sit me in his office and say, you know, with his wall of magazines and say, well, I don't understand, Beth. Like, you're never in here asking for anything else. Like, what do you want to do next? And I, I just said to him, like, I love this job and I'll let you know right. when I know what yeah. I want to do next. And I did not raise my hand until I heard about Domino. I mean, to me, and maybe it was because I was in my 30s and I felt like I was still living with, you know, sort of albums around me and like my I, I didn't live in a place that I could welcome people in because I didn't feel like it was nice enough your home wasn't furnished in the Not way at that you liked okay um, and I myself was really frustrated with the process and how to get off the dime and actually make my own living space beautiful and it just struck a chord with me from the very concept and it was that moment that I went to see Steve and said you know what you haven't green lighted this yet right but when you do I want this to be my next job. So it sort of came up that they were thinking about an extension of the Lucky brand, yeah. and they were going to do a home magazine. Exactly. And that was sort of all you knew at the time. That's all and I And you knew. said, yes, put, me, put me on the list. Yeah. 
And it was, you know, it was James Truman's kind of group and, and his concept. And right. Deborah Needleman had sort of formulated the concept. She became the editor-in-chief uh, for the home version. So Deborah Lucky. was already on board. Deborah was already on board. And, okay. I was, and I was the next person hired. And, I mean, it was green-lighted within a couple of weeks of that conversation. You know, it was happening. And this was 2004 or this was? 2004. Still? Okay. Okay. 2004. We were given 18 months or two years to launch it, which doesn't happen now. It's like, can you get this out in a month? <laughs> exactly. That's <laughs> just, it's preposterous that we had so much time to research and launch it and sort of conceptualize what it would be. And we, um, we did a lot of research and, you know, they were committed to something like 125, $30 million behind it. We yes. Were, we were given a seven year runway, which would never happen now. And uh, that's tremendous. So they were telling yeah. you right from the start that you've got you've got seven years to to make this model work. Yeah. And then yeah. I, I mean, Domino really sort of hit it out of the park right away, right? Yeah. I we I mean, Deborah hired amazing designers who basically created the architecture of the magazine, and she, you know, she created the concept of it. And then we went to do research on it, and the, the overwhelming feeling was that people wanted it now. Like we weren't going to launch for eighteen months, and they right. were like, "Please, I need this now." Everywhere we went, and so we uh, we fast paced it a bit. We launched six months early, um, and the launch month was actually May of two thousand five. It was supposed to be fall, and we launched it in May, and uh, we couldn't get it out there fast enough. And the folks who did the design for the prototype just yeah. they hit it out of the park. Yeah, and I you know nobody that saw that prototype was disappointed because it was exactly what we delivered. So, and that was helicopter? And yeah, that it was, was helicopter. Yeah, Ethan and Josh. Yeah. And, right, right, right. Okay. And so people saw the prototype. They said, absolutely, this is going to be successful. Get it out there. It was so different from anything that existed. Yeah. You know, it was access and it was fun and happy and spirited. And, and it really mimicked what was going on in fashion at the time, which was high-low. Right. You know, that was so revolutionary in 2004 you know when Sharon Stone showed up at the Oscars in a gap turtleneck with a Chanel skirt you know that was crazy revolutionary and um, in the in the home industry it was not- unheard of right? <laughs> yes <laughs> to some it still is they are still struggling with it to this day it's true yes well so I remember sitting in a circulation meeting where they came and just talked about the direct mail that we were going to do and it was tens of millions of people were going to get the invitation to subscribe i mean i yeah i I had never i had never seen anything like it i mean well it wasn't and it wasn't just our own magazines like we were famous for just tapping into our other titles to relaunch a new one or to launch a new one and it brought the whole catalog world into the mix. So, you know, we were looking to mail to the Design Within Reach subscribers yes. and to the West Elm and Pottery Barn subscribe. Well, actually, West Elm wasn't around at the time, but Pottery Barn was huge um, to mail to their subscribers. And those catalog email lists became our best source of subscribers, for sure. Better than going to, you know, Bon Appetit's list or House and Garden's list and all of the other titles in the company. Yeah. So that was really the key. So all yeah. of these, all of these groups that would be interested in this kind of a publication got it, and yeah. and they all were. Because yeah. I remember the circulation numbers just were were huge. Sort yeah, of it grew really fast. Right after, and and was that part of the challenge? Did that make it harder that we were so successful that that quickly? I mean, I remember we had to keep raising the rate base, for example. I mean, it made it harder on on the ad side. You remember? Because yeah. we we did. We raised the yeah. rates all the time, and yeah. you know. 
in this home design world that we live in, there is definitely a world of trade rates. And right. there was very quick sticker shock yeah. around Domino because we were, all of a sudden, we were two, three years old and we were hitting a million circ and we were, yes. I mean, the rates were high. Yeah. They were really high. And it wasn't a world in which we could negotiate. They were what they were. Right. And, and, it's and very it, different now. That was always one of the challenges with Kanye yeah. Nass, that you couldn't negotiate yeah. rates. Right. So that, that was it's very really different now. Yeah. And, and Domino, because it was new, wasn't the primary buy for any of the companies that we were talking to. Right. Well, so. it's true. And there were two things going on. One was that we were a catalyst for a change in an industry that didn't want change. So right. as you remember, it was very hard to get people who were only targeting designers to embrace Domino. They were scared of it. They felt that we were telling people not to use designers, that like everybody could have access to great design. Yes. And I disagree to this day because I think what we were doing was educating and, and sort of teeing up people to appreciate and love great design at a younger age, which nobody was doing at the time. So I agree. There was and that, that. And, that was, and that was very much our, our message. And everyone, <laughs> but not everybody bought into it, remember? No, no. But, I, but now everyone says, oh, Domino was so early. And I mean, that was really part of the challenge. Yeah. That we were. So being a catalyst yes. for change so early, I think, yes. hurt. Um, and then, you know, it, it's just interesting what was going on at the time with our rates. So we were raising rates so fast and there were big, for, you know, Fortune 500 companies who appreciated that and wanted to be part of where we were. Right. But our biggest advertisers were not home design accounts. They were, you know, financial services yes. and automotive business and, you know, people like that who appreciated the growth in circulation and exactly. could afford to pay the price. Right. So the endemic category was always a challenge to us. And when it's funny, when I met the, uh, the three entrepreneurs who brought the, bought the title from Connie Nest and brought the company back in 2013, they asked me my strategy for building the advertising base. And I said, the first thing I'm going to do is build the endemic base because it wasn't something that we had. Yes. And I felt like the world had changed in that five or six years that we were gone and that there would be an appreciation so, in 2013 for bringing Domino back. Right. So, so let's talk about that. So, yeah. so Domino, so Domino becomes this huge success, uh, as, as you said, Deborah and Dara and Sarah Ruffin Costello and the whole team, all brilliant and had yeah. created this magazine. People couldn't wait to, to get it, even in our own cafeteria. I mean, the days of the magazine crazy. would hit, yeah. just everyone would be reading Domino. Uh, much to the chagrin of many of their bosses, as I recall, but but it was it was amazing. Um, then the financial crisis comes. Domino gets gets folded uh, with lots of other things that that happened at the at the time. Right. And how long was it before the the talk of sort of bringing Domino back? Was it? Uh, I, you know, there may have been conversations behind the scenes that I don't know about. You know, right. I, I left on January 30th, 2009 with the rest of the team. Right. And yeah. um, I went to Meredith where I was, you know, running traditional homes. So I was still in that That's world. Right. And every single day I heard about Domino every single day to the point where it was like, okay, people, like, get over it. So Go people on. saying they miss it. Oh, yeah. Oh, they were so sad. Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. So I used sad. to get that a lot. Um, yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you heard it. Yes. And, uh. Condé Nast was approached by Target during that time that it lay dormant. And Target said to them, we want Domino back so badly that we'll pay to be the sponsor. If you guys will produce it, we'll pay 
to sponsor it. And so they reached a deal with Target whereby they were the, you know, the only sponsor exclusively of, uh, you know, an SIP series of Domino. So that twice a year they would publish repurposed content right. from the old Domino with a new cover, put it out on the newsstand for $12, which was unheard of. We used to sell Domino for three ninety-five, right. And guess what? It was selling. Yes. Um, it was a new model, but it was selling. And... There was a backlash, I will say, because people who love Domino realized after they opened that cover that they actually had seen what was inside. That it was repurposed content. Yeah. Right. And if you think about 2009, Pinterest and Instagram didn't exist yet. Yeah. So I I do think what kept Domino alive was this crazy Facebook community that just loved it and talked about it all the time. And you well, know. So it's interesting that you say that because I was talking with one of the early bloggers the other day. And I remember, and, and I should tell our listeners, uh, just in the interest of disclosure, so I, I was the first home furnishings director at, at Domino, and Beth was my boss, and so um, if we sound familiar about much of this stuff, that's... We go back. That's why. But the, the, the bloggers that were just sort of getting started at that time were a big voice mm-hmm. in the community that were starting to, to really... I do feel like they filled the hole, for yes. sure. Exactly. Yeah. And, and so they, they loved Domino, and they were a huge part of supporting Domino and yeah. kind of getting it out there, even though, truthfully, at the time, we didn't even really know what bloggers were when we first launched. And, and I think a lot of them were designers that weren't working because of the recession. And, I, you know, the yeah. designer appeal to Domino, like, really became clear to me during yeah. the time it lay dormant, you know, because they were all, they did, they, they sort of rushed in to fill the void. Yes, and and really became a powerful voice as a result. Yeah, and um, and then so so there was this like sort of layer of beloved Domino fans that always kept it alive on social media and, right. and in other places. Um, about five days after the magazine folded in two thousand nine, the New York Times wrote, a th- I want to say a three page obituary in the home section. I mean three whole pages in an eight page section about. Domino being gone. <laughs> About how sad it was. Yeah. Yeah, I remember. Um, I pulled it out a few months ago, and it, I think the, the headline was uh, A Girl World Closes and Thousands Mourn or something like that. I mean, it was crazy, like an obituary. Yeah. And um, that led to a whole bunch of press, which obviously wanted to keep it alive. I don't think that senior management at Condé Nast had any idea of the attachment, other than the quick growth in circulation. Right. The, the real attachment people had to it. Um, and then there were issues being sold on eBay for like $7,500. I mean, kind of crazy. It was yes. just crazy stuff was happening. And um, some of us moved on. Right. <laughs> some of us did it. Yeah, so you went, as you yeah. said, and became publisher at Traditional Home. And you, yeah. were, you were doing life something. Life was good. Yes, and life was good. And, and then suddenly you get approached again. So when did, when did that happen? So, well, I met two of the three, what later became the founders of the new Domino Media Group, um, through just a project they called me about. They had, Cliff Searle and Andy Applebaum had launched a site called Project Decor. Right. And they were e-commerce guys, lawyers turned e-commerce business people right. who were going through their own home renovations and realized how ridiculous the process was. So same thing. They same were thing. frustrated by the process. Yeah. Okay. And, and they researched the industry and they realized that they could deliver home design products to people 
directly. Mm. You know, they, they were really frustrated by the process, but they knew that there was a dropship model to this industry and that they could deliver furniture to people themselves. And so they launched a site called Project Decor. Right. And sometime around that same period, um, they approached Condé Nast about buying the rights to the Domino brand because they knew how important brand was. You know, and if they just put a shingle out there, would anybody come? But if they put a, a known brand out there, right. maybe they would. And so they began conversations that went on for something like a year. Um, and I met them through a project that they were proposing we, they do with Meredith. The project never happened, but the three of us became friendly. Okay. And so in the spring of 2013, Cliff called me and we hadn't talked in a while. And he said, you know, I should really, we should get together. There's a lot going on. We'd love to update you about what we're doing. And I was like, sure. How about three weeks from now? And they're right. like, how about tomorrow? Can you meet for lunch tomorrow? And they proceeded to take me to lunch the next day and tell me that they had bought the Domino brand from Connie Nass and they were relaunching it four months later as wow. an independent company. Okay. And... They had, they swear to this day, had no intention of hiring me. They just really wanted my help. Is that right? Yeah. They, so they weren't taking you to no. lunch to, to make you the No, publisher. they would take me to lunch because they wanted to do it in the right way. They okay. wanted to re-engage some of the old people and make sure they said the right thing. Right. Okay. Um, I still don't believe that. I make fun of them all the time because I think <laughs> that was a ploy. But Because um, really they did want you. Of course they did. Because you had all the history and the knowledge. and Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Um, okay, so you and had maybe lunch. that's just conceited. I don't know. But it's your giant ego, right. <laughs> my giant ego it. playing. Yeah. Um, but I left that lunch convinced that they couldn't do it without me. That like, <laughs> that they really didn't know anything, and that right. they really needed somebody right. who did have history. And so yes. I, um, we started talking, and that was in June. And I actually didn't leave traditional home till August, and uh, I joined them on September 9th of 2013, and the brand relaunched on October 3rd. So a lot of the plans were already in the works. Oh, my goodness. Okay. Um, they had hired an editorial team okay. run by Michelle Adams. Right. They were already in place doing so a lot of the So they'd already hired Michelle when yeah. they were having the conversation with you. Yeah. Okay. And she brought along a small team from Lonnie. So they right. you know, they were pretty well set on the edit side Okay. Um, in as much as they were going to be before the launch. And the concept was to launch relaunch Domino on three platforms simultaneously, print, digital, and commerce, all on the same day. Wow. Which would realize the dream and the promise that Domino always had, which was the right. shopping magazine for your home. And we weren't able to fulfill back in 2005. Yes. So, yeah. So it was, uh, it was ambitious. It, yes, it was very <laughs> ambitious and came together really quickly after, came together after quickly. that. And yeah. yet, unlike at Condé Nast, where I felt like we had armies of people and, as you said, a hundred and. $25 million or so to blow through, which we did. Um, you had a you had a skeleton We spent team. that money wisely. Very wisely. If we, hadn't, if we hadn't, we wouldn't be back. Yes. I do think we, you know, yes. there was a lot of good money spent. Yes. <laughs> but you didn't have anything like that when you, start, when you started up the new... No. No. I mean, we were a small independent company um, with Condé Nast as a, minor, as a minority shareholder. But... Um, no, it was very bootstrap, very startup. And your role, so so the, the the publisher role has sort of gone away in in general, right? So and and what what's that about? What what, what publishers know more now? Everyone wants to be a chief. Well, they, they mean different things. So publisher in the newspaper world was always the person who ran the entire newspaper, right? 
you know, the editors reported to them, the public, the business folks reported to them. Um, publisher in the magazine industry was really an advertising role. It always was. Yes. So the entire revenue team reported up through the publisher and marketing, marketing functions. So, you know, I think in a lot of people's minds, it's a print term and that's the reason it's gone. Okay. So they want to think about newspaper and magazine. Yeah. Yeah. Now you want to be a CRO. Right. Okay. (laughs) Which you are. Congratulations. All C-suite. Thank you. Yes. Um, But, um, you know, my team still introduces me as publisher. Right. I think in certain circles and especially in the home design business, which is still so print based. Yes. That's that's how they they think of the role. Yeah. It's a very important title still. Yeah. Um, but it's essentially the same function. It's just different terminology in a new time, you know. So now you were going to be charged with not only presenting a magazine, but also an e-commerce site, and 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 so, what went along with that? Uh, well, we introduced the print magazine, you know, on the same day as everything else. But I think that's what people gravitated to first because it was something they knew. The magazine, yeah. So I think we delivered what a lot of people remember Domino was, mm-hmm. and that was Michelle's intent too. Right. I want to give them what they remember and what they loved, and then we'll evolve it, right? Basically into what Domino means in 2013, 2014. Yeah. So um, the first issue very much looked like the old Domino, and we launched online at the same time. And the idea was to deliver even more content more consistently, more often online because people had an appetite for it, and you know seemed to want as much as they could get. Right. Um, but the strategic play was really the same, which is next generation design. You know, like we want to reach the next generation of design lovers and this is the way to do it. And really nobody's doing that except for the successful bloggers that filled in that void yes. while we were gone. Um, nobody else really launched in that period to do that. So there was a huge white space in the category. Well, and why, why is that, do you think? Why did no one come along and say, oh, we can pick that right up and go do that? I don't that? know. It wasn't an age where a lot of things were being launched anyway. You okay. know, we kind of all lived through that five-year, yeah. the recession and then the slow. People were still coming out of the financial yeah. crisis. And, yeah. I think so. Um, I don't really know why. But, but it took some people from totally outside of the industry to sort of bring it back and, yeah. and, and push it forward. And, and because they were tech guys. Yeah. So they... So our, but our initial success on the ad side was really in the magazine. People came gravitating back to the magazine. People who never supported it years ago yeah. all of a sudden wanted in. Yeah. And um, I think they had lived through enough of their own if they were still around that they understood why it was important to reach that next generation. A lot of, you know, sons and daughters of companies that we called on in 2007 we're now running their businesses right. so it's interesting if you think about the you know i'll call out chad stark but the chad starks of the world as opposed to their dad or their uncle yes you know we're now becoming more of a force in their own company so um and did that make it a little bit easier that yeah. that group was a little bit older now for and, sure. and now had the had the money because that for was sure. one of the challenges for the original domino was right. the perception was the kids loved it yes loved it but they didn't have the money to or the spend. power. Yes, right. Okay. So yeah. now they were a little bit older, and a little bit more well healed. Exactly. In, in Chad's case, and we were not at all, right. at all older, right? Yeah, we were, we were the no, same. No, we had exactly the same age. Exactly. So there was that, and um, you know that helped us in a big way to build the endemic base and bring it back. And you know we had to build the audience online to even be a player. So we weren't really accepting advertising on our site 
for about a year, year and a half. People would call and ask about it, and they could buy in if they wanted right. to in a small way, but there was no real audience there. So originally that wasn't part of what you were marketing? We, we were marketing it, but we weren't aggressively selling right. it because okay. there wasn't enough there there. Right. Um, and it's only really been in the last year and a half to two years that we've had the meteoric growth on the digital side enough that we've become a player right. and to have that conversation. So we've really built the digital business in the last 18 months. And what has led to that meteoric growth? Mm, the ability to hire smart, strategic people who know how to grow online businesses. You seem to yeah. have hired a lot of really good people in the past year, we've, I want to say. We've I mean, always been able to attract good people. Okay. Okay. But so people are excited to be part of it and they... They just love... I know everyone yeah. there just loves the brand, yeah. which is nice. Yeah. Which is such a... It's an easy draw in a way. So, yeah. So hiring the right people and then forging the right partnerships, you know, content shares and partnerships and um, having enough of a digital team to produce content consistently. We're up to about 50 or 60 new pieces of content a week. Is that right? Yeah. 50 now. Or 60 but it took a long time to get there. You know, it took a while to get there. That is a that is a very tall order. That's a lot. Of so we only publish a magazine four times a year, but we're producing a lot of content online. And that is still the intention to publish the magazine four times a year. It's the perfect frequency. It's, it's the perfect frequency. Yeah. And the team is focused on creating a lot of digital content that sort of fills the the, the gap. It's there are there's a dedicated digital team. There are a few people on the print team and then a lot of them cross-pollinate okay so they are cross-pollinating yeah. so some of the digital okay yeah okay yeah because that's a yeah that's they a contribute to both and everything that's created for the magazine is original and that's all becomes digital content as well we're going to take a quick break to remind you to register for high point market where we'll be april 14th through the 18th this season's market is packed with events and product intros by some of our favorite designers and brands to register visit highpointmarket.org and now back to the show. And so then the the e-commerce piece. Tell me about that. Uh, well, the idea that Domino could actually take you from the point of inspiration to the point of purchase, right, was always, you know, not only was it in our DNA, but it was our sort of driving force. Yes. And it wasn't be, it wasn't realized back in two thousand four. But now we can do that, right? So if we we knew if we could create a, a sort of cool mix of product that people could see on our site and then buy right then and there in one cart that it could be a home run um and i learned along the way that it's very tough to have editors creating e-commerce stores that you really need buyers who understand the business and have relationships with companies right. on a buying level right uh, to do that and so we actually have a buying team you know, with deep roots, you know, come from places like Wayfair, uh, yeah. you know, who know industries, who know, you know, inventory, who know, you know, what the right mix is, who know how to choose products from a specific manufacturer's mix that will sell on our site, not take the whole collection, but be able to curate in a way that is right for the domino reader or the domino visitor. So, and that's the idea, that the yeah. product will feel domino appropriate that you're, that you're able right. to buy on the e-commerce right. site. And that it is a curated experience, right. that we're not Wayfair or Amazon. We don't have every product in the world, nor do we think right. we should. Because we're not going to compete on price, and we're, you know, we're selling at manufacturer's suggested price. We're not a discounter. 
Um, so, and, and when Domino first launched, we, we were trying to make everything available that you saw on the, on the page. Is, is is that which was which was awfully hard to to do, especially back it in two thousand and four? But I mean, it's well, it's, we delivered it's, websites, right? Like, yeah, we, we gave you somewhere right. to go look. We we gave you a place to go look, and and many of those businesses would sell out of that product right away. Exactly. Uh, but but today, it's it's a slippery slope with commerce because yeah. you know everything today is measurable, and advertisers, especially with digital advertising, everything is measurable, and people are are counting clicks, basically. So I am often reticent to recommend that our advertisers also sell product through our store. Okay. Because when it works, it's a beautiful thing. Right. But it doesn't always work. So it has to happen organically. It either has to happen organically or they should sell in their own channels and they should use our platforms to reach these really hard to reach people. Okay. But not necessarily use our company as an e-commerce platform. Okay. It's interesting. Well, it, it is interesting, and I, I feel like earlier today, in fact, I was reading a, a woman from Crate and Barrel talked about how she had been involved in the Reese Witherspoon cover story, and so I was curious, that relationship. So what was the involvement, or how did that work? I mean, people bring story ideas to us all the time, and, right. I, and that was a really wonderful sort of melding of Crate and Barrel brought us the uh, the relationship with Reese, you know, okay. we were under NDA, nobody knew about it yet, but they basically said, we're doing this collaboration with Reese and it's going to launch at holiday time and she only wants to do one home cover and she wants it to be Domino. Would you guys be interested in it? Wow. Um, yes. We love her. So sure. there was no hesitation. I mean, but yeah. that person has to be right and right. Like, right for Domino and right for us. And I think yes. that, you know, to Jess, Jessica's credit, Jessica Rahm, our editor-in-chief, like, she jumped all over that, you know. She did. So yeah. she saw the opportunity yeah. and she was excited. Absolutely. Okay. So when did Jessica come on board? Uh, a year and a half. A year and a half. It might okay. be two and a half, but it okay. was summer. Yeah. I think okay. it was a year and a half. Okay. Yeah, because I, I feel like, so the, the most recent issue, I guess we should say, Reese Witherspoon is on the yeah. cover, and it's a knockout issue. It's a beautiful issue. It's a it's really a be- beautiful it, issue. It's you know, what you don't see behind the scenes is obviously there's a fine line between making that a domino cover and making that a crate and barrel commercial. Mm. And I think that's where, you know, where our editorial team did a beautiful job, just creating a cover that is so right for domino and not feeling so commercial. Um, and I say and that, that and knowing that it is yeah. commercial, but it's great for crate and barrel and they were thrilled with it. Um, but, you know, it's a fine line there it is to a navigate and line. then to publish yeah yes and but I, but that's more and more where, where everything seems to be mm. going right so I mean to, to talk a little bit about the state of sort of publishing in in general I mean it, it seems that native content or or you know partnering with strategic partnerships like you did with Crate and Barrel, which, by the way, I learned about the Crate and Barrel partnership after I had gone through the magazine it did not hit me as a, as a commercial oh, thing at it all. It didn't come across as sort of... No, not at all. I, I yeah. was actually, and I was just so, I mean, it was a lovely, it was a lovely story, and, um, and I thought that was great. And there were actually quite a few stories that, funny enough, sort of reminded me of early Domino when, when we went to a lot of exotic places. There was that fun little shop in Paris that had all the beautiful things. And there was that, Paris and London in that issue. Yeah, yeah. it was nice. Yeah, I mean, and it, it felt very rich. There was yeah. a lot of rich content in there 
and uh, and it was and it was beautifully photographed. I, th I thought this was a really impressive issue, and I'm not I'm not Thank just you. saying that because you're you're here. I just I I really enjoyed it. But the the native content issue is something that I'm sure you're having to try and figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, everybody wants the endorsement, right? Everybody yeah. wants to if they want to do business with us, they want to be seen as a, a brand that Domino loves. Yes. So. Yes. Yeah. No, it's interesting, but it's led us down a road where we can organically create a cover story like Reese, or we can create pop-up shops. We've done five in the last year with retail partners and have it feel organic to both Domino and to that partner. So you so, just did two pop-up shops sort of over the holiday. A little holiday. crazy, yeah. Yes, I know. You, you sort of told me that you've got a lot going on with pop-up shops. So We're coming did, up for air now. We're good. Okay. So you, so you did Fred Siegel out in, in California. Mm -hmm. And so tell me about that. Um, so our CEO, Nathan Coyle, is um, great friends back from his CAA day with um, John Frierson, who's running Fred Siegel right okay. now. Um, and John's created a whole new store on La Cienega. I don't know if you've been there yet. I haven't. really cool. It's on my list. Um, and I was worried because I love the old store and I still miss the Santa Monica store and I'm okay. a huge Fred Siegel fan. Um, but he's created um, a beautiful new store, which is only half done. The other half's going to open. I think in the spring, um, and wanted to have a series of pop-ups to create excitement around the new store. And so he was devoting certain spaces just to pop-ups for the first few months. And okay. so back in the spring, he and Nathan made sort of a handshake deal to um, allow Domino to be one of those pop-ups. And we wanted holiday, and you know we wanted to be in L.A. We hadn't done anything in L.A. We have a huge fan base in L.A. And so... So we decided that we would do bi-coastal pop-ups for holiday. We had done a really successful one in New York last year um, with Target as a partner. Right, And we um, had a new relationship with the Home Depot, and so the Home Depot signed on for the New York pop-up, and now we had an L.A. pop-up as well, which we eventually partnered with CB2, um, which made so much sense because CB2 has a licensed collection with Fred with Siegel. With Fred Siegel, yes. yes. So it became this beautiful melding in the right. same way that you just said, this new world, yes. like all together in one place. And um, John asked us to stay open an extra week, so we actually just closed it uh, three days ago okay. in L.A. So I've missed my opportunity you to did. go see it. Yeah. Sadly. Yeah. So is there so is there a team that works on I mean, or is that is that Beth Brenner and and crew? It was that a tag team in? pretty okay. much. I mean we hired a dedicated project manager who managed both pop ups. Okay. But she was just one person. Right. And so it was very much a rally around the flagpole yes. okay. effort. Um, but pop ups are are such a big thing now. But they're really time consuming and really work intensive. And they're, so we've learned a lot, lot of lessons along the way. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Um, so so fewer so fewer pop-ups in the future no 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 more more oh yeah okay more pop-ups but you know but more people behind them because well, i think it's just a bigger pop-up team yeah okay so so tell me why you think pop-ups are are such a big thing now well for us we're i mean we're a retailer so you know the fact that a lot of people know Domino's back, but they don't know we have a store. Or they, right. they follow us on the web, but they don't know we have a magazine. And I think there's only, you know, there's nothing like brick-and-mortar experiential, you know, appearances for a brand like ours in terms of bringing the brand to life in a way that you can't possibly do online. Isn't that you know? funny that, yeah. that everyone's realized there's no way you can bring it to life no. without a bricks-and-mortar no. space? And all of, you know, everything you do, even if it's one city, becomes is now a broadcast message, right? Because right. social and digital allow you to do that. 
so even though we're in one city and even though we, we picked a small city, we're looking at Nashville right now for spring. Oh. Um, because we want to go to more places. We don't just want to do New York because it's easy and we're here. Sure. We want to go to other interesting places. Um, you know, it doesn't matter if we're in a small city because everybody will know about it. You know, we did one this summer in, out in the Hamptons with American Express Platinum, and we literally built a shed for this pop-up and sat it in the parking lot at the Topping Rose House. <laughs> and we pulled it off in three weeks' time. I mean, it was just... Awesome, but everyone in the world saw that. Yes. Cute little pop-up. Well, so, and, and what did American Express want from that? So they wanted to partner with you because... They're relaunching the Platinum brand, and, okay. um, and they wanted to forge connections through experiences. Okay. Basically. So not only did we have this pop-up where, obviously, if you used your American Express Platinum card, you would get a special benefit or two, right. but we also had a series of workshops where we could invite Platinum card members uh, and they were exclusive to Platinum Card members where they could come and learn how to design beautiful flowers with a floral designer or um, have a crafts workshop for their kids or do wine tasting with um, Scribe Winery from Napa. Right. So they were special experiences. It was sort of, you know, this beautiful melding of people we had featured. Right. And, you know, and Platinum Card members could meet those people and actually sort of learn something from them. Fantastic. And so all of those workshops became content. So, you know, we photographed all of them, we videoed all of them, and they became content for our site and, and for American Express. That's great. Yeah. So they got a lot out of that. So it depends what, you know, the goals and, yeah. you know, CB2 is very high on content. You know, they just really, really want content right now. So working with them at Fred Siegel, there was a similar vibe where we had workshops and those things became content. So what kind of workshops would you do at Fred Siegel? Um, we were doing florals again. Okay. Um, we did a dinner involving influencers that had sort of a real one-on-one -on -one time with CB2 and with their okay. product. Um, holiday entertaining. Fantastic. You had to set a table, things like that. So, so influencers being uh, social media influencers? Yeah. Okay. And, and so I feel like social media influencers have, have so much authority and, and, and impact t today. So, so tell me how you work with, with influencers. A lot of brands have strategies around growing their social media platforms, especially in our industry, because right. um, they may not know quite yet what to do on with their website or why they should be online, but they do know that they want more followers. Right. So um, we've amassed a network of influencers that we love um, and we essentially act as agent for partner brands in matching them with the right influencers. And, you know, there's all you kinds do. of categories of influencers now. You can, there's just design influencers, there's designers who are, you know, right. tastemakers in right. some way. But there are mommy bloggers and there are, you know, wellness influencers. And, yeah. you know, every day we get different kinds of questions. Um, entertaining focused influencers. So it's, you know. And so you've got a whole stable of influencers. We have a stable of influencers and, you know, we have ones that we work with and we've loved. Right. Um, we're in the process of doing, we just finished a program and are about to start another one with Emily Henderson. Like there are people that we've loved and we've worked with a lot and have okay. really big reach online. Um, we just did a program for Bosch with Jenny Commenda, oh. who has a blog called Little Green Notebook, which I'm right. sure you know. And, yeah. and she's a huge design practice out of Phoenix, Arizona. Um, and she did content for us around a renovation that she was doing, you know, for Bosch. Right. So, 
you know, we launched Skura Sponges, which is this new line of sponges three months ago, and they wanted specifically to work with influencers. And one was, we worked with one in the wellness area, and we work with Emily on the design right. side. Right. So. And that sponge popped off an awful lot. I mean, it, it, yeah. it followed me around on my there internet you go. browser. They for were quite retargeting some time. you. Yes. They, yeah. That sponge would not leave me alone. Did you subscribe? But how, but how fantastic yeah. that you could launch a sponge with that much impact. I mean, hilariously. Right. Um, but right. That, so people who want to make a big splash in a short amount of time on social yes. love working with influencers. Yes. And I think what appeals to them about working through Domino is that they don't have to contact the agents, that we act as agent. Right. And um, Well, so, know. and tell me how that works with designers. So when we first launched the magazine, designers were a little uneasy, as you said before. So there was a little bit of, of DIY to the I think designers magazine. loved it, but I think that trade companies didn't believe that designers loved it. I think I think a lot of designers thought it was it was very chic and fun yeah. and they wanted to participate. Right. And and how do they participate today? Uh, well, it's funny. I just got off the f- phone earlier today with Bennett Leifer, who's a mm. lovely young designer in New York. Very talented. Um, and I um, we're about to start a project where we're, we're doing real estate staging for model right. apartments and which is this other business that you've grown <laughs> yeah into. I mean we're, we've got a lot of ancillary businesses growing yes. and that, I see that as a huge huge potential business for us staging um, yeah staging okay. we did two projects last year we're about to start the year with one down in Tribeca this year and um, the way those projects work is I, I'll you know give the sponsor or the real estate sales and marketing consultants you know, examples of designers that we think would be right for that property. So in this case, I gave them five or six designers. Bennett was one of them, and they decided they wanted him. Right. And um, so we're about to start working with him on the staging of this model, which we will then photograph for print and digital. So he gets published, which is what designers want out of it. And then we bring in partner brands to allay some of the costs and to actually decorate the apartment. Um, so that's one way that we work with designers. Um, I just finished a room at Holiday House with my friend Young Ha. Yes, who the is, fabulous kitchen. Yeah. I mean, and who doesn't want to work with kitchen Young Ha? Kitchen on the second floor, right? Yes. Uh, that's another way that we work with designers. And I'm about to do an outreach. Like you know, maybe if there's designers listening to this and they know that we're looking for projects. I mean, we're looking for projects right now because we have brands that want to be paired with them who want projects. Fantastic. Well, yeah. Prepare to have your phone blow up. There you go. I, I'm sure that is what's going to happen. And that won't work in, you know, for renovating related companies, that won't work in a model staging opportunity because we can't take the countertops off. We can't take the appliances out. That stuff is already done. Right. But we can, you know, in a, in a design project where the work hasn't started yet. Yes. So you can really come in and do everything. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. So when you think you've got a, you think you've got a couple of staging projects that are, that are coming up in the... Well, one that's okay. definitely happening. Okay. That's a ten it's a ten million dollar apartment, so it's it's gonna take us a few months to do. Yeah. Well right. so and and you get very intimately involved in these <laughs> As projects. you know, Dennis. As I know, I have been recruited to participate in some of your past projects. Yeah. Um, so I mean you so you wear a lot of hats in this in this chief revenue officer role. Revenue from everywhere, right? Yes. I it, that's what honestly what makes it so much fun. I mean, I've been so selling advertising for a long time, yes. but, you know, to actually be growing other businesses is really a lot of fun. Really a lot of fun. And and you're getting to see so much more of, of what's happening, not just in the design world, but, I mean, in, in the real estate yeah, world. Yeah, peripheral and, industries. Yeah. Yes. 
and and what's your sense of of sort of how things are? What's the what's the state of the industry in real estate? Or in- well, I mean, in in, in real estate, in, but also in high end design and in general. Um, I mean, it's. I think it's still a very. There's a lot of change still going on in this industry. Yes. I don't know that it's consolidation, but there is change. I think that the industry itself is still struggling with this trade versus consumer issue, and maybe always will. You know, I don't know. That may just I, always be around. It may just always be around. Yeah. I think that uh, there's a handful of designers who are so busy they can't take on any more work. But you know, my designer friends seem to only want the higher price projects. Like they don't want to work on small projects anymore. And I, I right. think that's a huge opportunity for somebody to yes. work on those projects. Yes. Um, whether it be you know online design services or which is exactly what I was yeah. going to ask you. So I, I don't it, really it, know. is that the opportunity for these online? Now you you partner a little bit with with. Uh, an online design service. We work right? with Havenly. We have a domino design service. Yes. Um, I think that fills a void for some people who, you know, have never decorated a space and want the advice of someone but are right. willing to do the project themselves. Right. You know, after they get that advice. Um, you know, I, it's not even necessarily young kids with no budget. I mean, my kids go to school with people who live on Central Park West who want to decorate their apartments but only want to spend $100,000, a lot of designers won't take on those projects. Right. So who will? Right. You know, it's an interesting issue right now. And and so maybe that will be some of the online services, or I maybe... I think so. Be, I think they no. want one-to-one attention. I mean, if you can afford a, an apartment on Central Park West, you want to work with a designer. You know? And do they want to work with a designer? I they mean, want they, help. Okay. They want help. Okay. And I don't think... There's a comfort level with design. I don't think there ever will be. It's not like buying a pair of boots. You know, I think, yeah. why is it so easy to buy a pair of boots for a couple of thousand dollars and yes. it is so hard to buy a $400 lamp? Why? Says a woman who has a lot of boots. I do. Yes. It's easy to buy boots. It's, it's easy to buy boots. Uh, so, so design is, is always, has been much more challenging. It's complex and it's challenging yes. and it's overwhelming. And I do think there's an appreciation for it among millennials and among younger people who want their dorm room to look great. Like when we were growing up, that wasn't a priority of mine, but I see it now much more in young people. And I think that's fantastic. But they're going to get to that, st- that same stage where they're going to need help. And where does it come from? I can't believe it's all going to come from online design services. And I think they're great. Right. They fill a need. Right. So you think that what that this that this other group of designers willing to take on smaller projects will coming will out of emerge? design school? I do. It'll be a way to get started. It'll mm-hmm. be a way to to sort of get your chops I in hope the design it does. industry. Yeah, I hope I hope it does too. Honestly, because I I do feel that there's so much opportunity. Uh, and I think that the other issue, in, like for me in the design industry, is that there's there's not a lot of great retail. And I think that has led to the success of the Resto Restoration Hardware and, you know, the CB2s of West Elms who, who have filled that void, the Mitchell Golds, who are actually have brick-and-mortar stores. Those are the brands that people know. You know, if I did a right. survey today of all of the visitors to Domino.com and asked them what brands they knew, those would pop up on top simply because they are out there on the street and they see them. And that's always been the challenge for trade companies. Right. Is they don't have the brand awareness. Right. Yes, even though they and have. not even only trade companies, a lot right. of companies. You know, think about high point companies that their dealers are retailers across the country, mom and pops. You know, across yeah. the country, 
but they don't do a lot of marketing around their own brands, and so people don't know their names. Yes, and that's really what Restoration Hardware, as you say, or has or, capitalized on. Yes, yes, very much so. Much to the chagrin of designers everywhere, so they tell I us. I mean, but it's hard to, you can't fault no. them for stepping into that hole that they saw was a huge opportunity. And, you know, other people just haven't marketed their names or their brands. So that's an opportunity to, to partner with Domino for a lot of these companies. Mm -hmm. So when you sit down with North Carolina furniture companies, for example, wh what do you present to them as what Domino is today? Well, I, first of all, I, you know, obviously start with questions. I ask them who they want to reach. We ask them right. who, you know, who's buying their product and what their biggest challenges are. A lot of these companies will say that, you know, that they're not reaching anyone under 40. You know, that the people who know their brands are sort of legacy furniture buyers yes. who have known it for a million years. Um, so, and they scratch their heads and they ask that question a lot. Like if you, if you speak at any of these industry functions, people will ask you how they can reach younger people. How do they get the sons and daughters of the people who shop in their store to come in? Right. So that's so still it's a very huge much top of pain point for them. Okay. Yeah. Um, and that, that to us is, that is the opportunity. You know, I don't ever try to make Domino something it's not. And I wouldn't, you know, when I'm talking to Comer Ware at Century, maybe Century isn't the right collection to be advertising with us, but, you know, maybe, um, you know, Highland House is. You know, what right. Nathan Copeland's doing at Highland House is amazing. You know, so it's trying to match the right brands with Domino that we feel will work and will resonate and not trying to be something that we're not. Like so. you were saying earlier about the e-commerce part, you, you want things that are going to sell and, and, yeah. and people are going to respond well to in, yeah. the, in the magazine. Otherwise, it yeah. doesn't make sense. And there's plenty of things in North Carolina that would, that would make sense in yeah. the book. Interesting that you mentioned Highland House. So, so what, because a couple of people have mentioned that recently oh, to me. Oh, it's so funny, yeah. That, yeah, that they, they're impressed with what they're, what they're doing. So what, so what are they doing that's, that's innovative, interesting? Innovative fabrics, trims, designs. Um, he's partnering with cool designers like Barry Benson yeah. out of Charlotte. Mm -hmm. um, not the household names, but people who are just doing cool stuff. Um, and getting the collections to a point where he feels he wants to promote them. You know, he's taken a very slow, dedicated route to get the whole collection to a place that he's proud of. And then I think in the next year or two, people will hear more about it. You know, we know behind the scenes because right. we've sure. been watching yeah. what's going on there. Um, and the, I think in Nathan's mind, he said this to us. It's just the domino reader is exactly his focus. Like, that's who he thinks will be his target customer. But I don't think the world knows about it yet. No, and, and, but he's been building it up, yeah. as you say, and, and getting it ready. And there'll be the big unveil. Yeah. Maybe 2018. Hopefully. I don't, I don't know. Uh so, and, and what ultimately, where does, where does the Domino Media Group go? So you've got a lot of sort of early stage investors, right? So, yeah. I mean, is the hope to, to ultimately go, go public for Domino Media Group? Or what's the, what's the ultimate, how does everyone get out? You know, I think the hope is to continue to get investors involved so that we can grow. Okay. So we're growing organically. We, were, right. you know, we have about 40 people now. I think it was 15 or 20 when I started. Um, we've grown to a place where we have an incredible senior management team um, and a lot of what else a lot of the people we've hired along the way have been 
you know, freelancers and contractors, but to grow our own departments and to, you know, build out a video team and to do grow in the ways that we know we need to grow next to continue to sort of get investment money to do that. Yes. So raising more money to, to really to grow the brand. Yeah. And, and ultimately. At a really critical point where we, we are poised to grow in a huge way. Yes. And at a time where, where print media in general is, is sort of still struggling and, and trying to, to find its way. It is struggling, but it's funny. We're closing the spring issue, and it's, it could be our best spring issue ever. You know? yeah. So people will say what they say about print, but you know, when I think when you do print well, and certainly we've reinvented the model, turned it on its head, Absolutely. selling now for $13 an issue. Um, and because we only produce 200,000 issues, we can use beautiful paper and create a product that is coffee table worthy, right. which as you remember, was one of the biggest beefs that people had about Domino was that it, the paper wasn't good and it yes. didn't feel good, yes. didn't look good. And you could see ads through to the other side. I mean, none of that is an issue anymore because we can create this beautiful product four times a year. Yeah. Um, yeah. It is a very heavy, substantial, I mean, it's, it's, it's impressive. And it's, you know, self-selecting, right? You have to really want it if you're going to spend $13 on it. Yes. Or $48 for a subscription. So when you do print well, print, print can really work, and you, yeah. you offer so many other components, and, and, and so there's a, there's a lot that, that everyone gets out of participating. Yeah, very few of our advertisers do print only. There's a, there's a handful, mostly in the home design business. Right. right. Uh, and, and, is that, right. and is that budget limitations? So the, the people in home design, they just have smaller budgets, so they can't really participate in your digital? No, or? they just don't know how to. They, they, don't, <laughs> they don't even know how to. Well, they, to what end? You know, right. why would they do a digital campaign? You know? To lead to their powerful website that they don't really have, right? <laughs> yeah, I'm not saying yeah. that you are. No, I'm, no I, I mean. That, their website doesn't function in that way. Yes. You know, it's not no. a consumer-friendly website. So why, it, send, exactly. so why send people there? Right. And that, and that is one of the challenges for, yeah. that, for that industry still is, right. you know. And, and design centers in general, I always joke because we thought design centers wouldn't be around today, and yet they seem to be. Some of the most progressive people in the business. Yes. Right? I mean, Mr. Druckmann's building seems to be full Driving. of capacity. And, yeah. Yeah. So. He's staving them off. Well, I mean, they. It, and, I, you know, I love what Katie's doing and her team down in Atlanta. I mean. Yeah. I love what's going on in Dallas. Um, I haven't visited D.C. yet, the new one. No, I, I haven't been to the there. new design center there. I need to get there. And, and a lot of exciting things happening at the Boston Design Center. For sure. And all of that is a big resurgence. And then so, the opposite of that, what's happened on the streets of Los Angeles. I mean, it's just, yes. yeah, I feel like not a lot of people are in the design center, but there's a ton of great design on the street there. A lot of great design yeah. on the street. That model really worked well. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. So, I, I glossed over in the beginning, but I actually want to circle back since we're talking about print and, and, and we, we mentioned about your time at, at Condé Nast, but I didn't want you to leave without saying something about the passing of Cy Newhouse, which was uh, sort of a, a huge event in, in the industry. Uh, and you worked for Condé Nast for a long time. Your father worked for an even longer time. Um, and your sister Randy, as you mentioned, um, worked there for many years as well. Do you, do you have memories of, of working for and with Mr. Newhouse? Was he, was he a big figure in your, in your life at any time? He or? was a big figure in my family's life, obviously, for yes. my dad. But um, he was a big figure in my 
launch of Domino Life more than any other time. You know, there was a year or two where we were yes. just trying to figure out what it would be and what the offering was and what our unique selling proposition was. And there was a, a few months where we were trying to name Domino. Um, the working title was Lucky Home. I don't know if you remember that. I do remember that. And yeah. everyone afterwards did wanted to distance themselves from that. But yes. But I still have was... pieces of paper on it that said <laughs> Lucky Home. Yes. It's so I, funny. I, yeah. Um, and I'm trying to remember what some of the other the runners up were. The other, but you know, people ask me all the time how we came up with the name Domino. So, and it's a funny story. It literally came out of you know a contributing uh, Cynthia Kling just shouted it out in a meeting, you know, and we were like, that's a cool word. Yes. Why does that mean something to you? Right. Um, but there were a lot of meetings with Mr. Newhouse when you know we were throwing words around and. We couldn't get the URLs for words that we liked. You know, right. it was that moment when everybody was registering the URLs, and we just we, the website needed to be part of it. Right. And um, there was a moment with him where he literally sat us in a room. It was his way of giving us a pep talk, really. And he sat us in a room. I was with Deborah and James Truman and a whole bunch of other people, and he literally said, "You know, what did Yahoo mean? What did you know? What did Lucky mean?" Right. Yeah, let's just find a word that we like and we'll own it in 18 months. Okay. And then it was Domino. And then we were like, yes, we can do this. And we literally went back into a room, brainstormed it out. And Cynthia Kling mentioned the word Domino. And we said, why? And she said, well, you know, to me it is a game, but it's more than that. And it's something that's multi-generational. I've played it with my grandparents and now I'm playing it with my children. You know, it changes all the time. And she just went into this whole description of why it meant something to her and it just struck a chord. You know, we loved the word. Yeah. Um, we couldn't get the URL. It became Domino Mag. You know, the new owners actually bought the URL. Right. So, uh, but it just became a word that we liked. Yeah. And, and he was very pivotal in that decision-making process. And to think that he would be involved to that level is funny, you know. But he cared a lot. He cared so much about his titles. His titles were his children. He was the first one in the door in the morning and he watched so closely what everybody was doing. He, you know, when I was at self, he watched what was happening at shape like more closely than I did, which was our closest competitor. That's great. He would get in at like five in the morning and count the ad pages in shape and send me one of his yellow notes saying, you know, shape had 78 ad pages and you had, you know, 63, what happened there. Right. It was just very funny. Well, and, and that was always the fact that he would get into the office really early in the morning. There was, there was the great story of the New York cab driver who always picked him up every morning and drove him to, to the office. He was so unassuming. He had no security. You know, he wore sneakers and a New Yorker sweatshirt every day. Yes. Um, and everybody's been telling their stories. I mean, it's been a really beautiful last few months because people have been recounting their own funny little stories of outside, but um, he was quirky, but in his own way, he was, you know, he was so nurturing. Like this, These magazines were everything to him. He just loved magazines. He loved these brands. Yeah. I, I was, in, in preparation for sitting down with you, I was actually looking at some pictures from the Domino launch party, and I remember him just being so excited, and here was this big party, and, and he, he just seemed so genuinely thrilled. And yet wildly out of place and, and sort of awkward, you know, but at the same time, he just was so happy. So happy. And, um, and there were some great, uh, there were some great pictures of the time. So he, 
he that was really, a good party. That was a great party, <laughs> and uh, and one that we will always remember. Yeah. He he was a very special special man uh, in his love of the publishing industry. And, and his memorial service last month was like a who's who yeah. reunion of like the best people in the business. Yeah. You know, it was incredible. It was a moment in time that nobody wanted to end. Yes, yeah. exactly. And uh, and this time is, is nice, but it was a very magical time in the, in the heyday yeah. of, of Condé Nast. Oh so. God, we sound so old. No, nonsense. I think we're depressing people now. <laughs> Thank you again. It's really been a pleasure. My guest has been Beth Brenner, Chief Revenue Officer of Domino Media Group. You can find us on iTunes. The show is Business of Home, and I'm Dennis Scully. If you like what you hear, please feel free to subscribe, and most of all, leave us a review on iTunes. That really helps build our awareness. This show is produced every week by Editor-at-Large. You can find us at editoratlarge.com, on Facebook or Instagram. Thanks again to our producer, Taylor Barker. We'll see you next week.